But I want to start by sharing a story. And we are looking at the Sermon on the Mount if you're here for the first time today or if you're new to the series. And I have to say it's been quite a challenging series. And every time I look at it, I'm like, ah, oh, I'd almost rather kind of soften it and, you know, water it down and kind of make it nice and safe for us. But actually, it is challenging in as we grow as disciples, as we want to imitate the life of Jesus, we need to expect to be challenged because we want to be more and more like him. And that will be growth and development and discipleship. So it's hard. And perhaps what we're going to share today perhaps might speak to us in the heart. But I guess that's what we desire, isn't it? Not that we are condemned or feel guilty, but actually that God would speak to our hearts and minds and help us to look and act and live more like him. So I'm going to start with this story. So Meshach, there you are, Meshach, hey. So Meshach and I, he'll probably hate me for doing this, but I think it's important to honor him this morning. The, a couple of weeks ago, we decided to meet on Princess Street and to go out on the streets and share our faith. Now, Meshach is like amazing at that stuff, so courageous, so brave, a role model to all of us, and just does it so naturally. I have to say I was being... I was pretty petrified about doing it, pretty nervous about going along. But I thought, no, no, I need to honor Meshach. I need to encourage myself to step, take steps to faith and to be courageous in my faith. So I turn up and I'm sitting there praying, you know, God, give me courage and I want to grow in this. And Meshach turns up with this like big cross and this huge sound system. And I'm like, oh, wow. Okay, amazing. But like, you know, I don't know if I've got the same courage and like ability to do this, but I was like, no, no, this is amazing. Meshach's faith and his boldness just to share his faith. Let's go and do this. But I was beating fast, you know, thinking this is going to be a tough time. And anyway, Meshach really felt after some prayer that we should be the other side of Princess Street. So we're there on Princess Street about four in the afternoon, sunny day, very busy. And we walked over the road with all this kit set up and we had this worship music pumping out and really good worship music I was loving it but again it did make me feel slightly out of my comfort zone and felt a bit uneasy around this kind of situation but thinking God you know you're in this give us courage give us a step of faith help me and Meshach Meshach like I say very comfortable I was feeling little uneasy about this but we spent some time praying and we went for it and then I remember just texting Adele, my wife, saying, you know, please pray for us. I'm feeling pretty uneasy. I didn't tell Meshach that, but I was feeling pretty uneasy. <laughs> and feeling amazed because, like I say, just so aware that as we stretch our faith, as we step out, the gobble meet us halfway. And that was what was Meshach was just modeling to me. Knew I was meant to be there, but it was a test of my faith. I was also thinking, you know, maybe God, you know, Jesus, you have to return at some point. What about now? You know, maybe, maybe now is your moment. But... But anyway, we thought, no, no, let's do this. And trembling and through the kind of fear and nerves, we'll just, let's, let's just go for this and do this. Within five minutes, cutting a long story short, a young lad kind of came and started chatting to us and talking to us. And I think it's fair to say he was pretty cool. I mean, I'm a good cool, I've got a good cool spot. I knew he was cool. And he was about 18 and was very switched on. He was articulate. Clearly he had a very good social life, was a bit of a gang leader, but was also fairly troubled and broken and got quite emotional after chatting to him about an hour and made a very real and decided decision to commit his life to Jesus. And it's amazing. Yeah, give that a cheer, actually. Yeah. And, and you know, what really struck me was it was definitely not my courage because I was a nervous wreck. It wasn't the worship music pumping out in the background. It was just the fact that Meshach led us halfway and said, look, we will go there and God, you'll meet us halfway. And this guy's life was changed for eternity. And what I want to talk about this morning is 
the ability to show up and to step out for Jesus. What is it like for us to show up for Jesus? I've kind of got a quite provocative title. Are we showing off or showing up? Please don't be offended. But are we showing off or showing up? And I'm aware that we live in a culture, don't we, with social media, but it can be so easily about us showing our best lives, showing our Instagram story that we are kind of desperately craving attention if we're not careful. Or even when we do good things, I know this, and I'm as guilty as the next person, we can so easily put it online and say, check this out. But actually, deep down, we're saying, check me out. There's such a desire in us to share our every good work, to be recognized, to be valued, to be appreciated. We all want to be recognized. Perhaps it's we want to say that I'm the funny one, I'm the intelligent one, I'm the good-looking one, I'm the popular one. Whatever it is, we want to be recognized, we want to be valued, we want to have our place. It can be so egocentric, it can so be about us. I hope you don't watch Love Island. I really hope you don't watch Love Island. But I've seen glimpses and I've read about it in the papers. <laughs> Guilty as charged. No, it's, it's awful, it's total trash. But I, I saw it for like five minutes once. And what was... Well, should I leave? Right, I'm off. <laughs> what I was very aware of is just how self-centered it is and about how egocentered it is and about how basically all about those individuals being the most beautiful, being the most popular and fighting their way to the top. It was horrible. But our culture is so much about me, iPhone, iPad. It can so easily be self-centered. And when we look to politics, I think the challenge we have with politicians so often is that when it becomes about their development, when it becomes about their furthering of their career, and actually less about the people they're serving, we start to get frustrated. So easily, it can become about me. It can become about us. It can become about our egos. It can so easily be a fight for approval. It can be so easy a fight to be liked, a fight to be recognized and valued. All of us, myself very much included, struggle with this. And we're going to look at it in a moment. The Jesus way is to live for him, to say, actually, it's not about me. I'm greatest. I'm most fulfilled. I'm most blessed when I make it about him. We're going to turn to Matthew 6, verses 1 to 4. It'll be on the screen, but if you've got a Bible, grab it. Matthew 6, 1 to 4. In fact, why don't I just pray as we open up Scripture, just aware this morning that we want God to speak. We don't want it to be my empty words. So let me just pray for this. Lord, we just pray as we open up your word. I pray that there be a tangible sense of you speaking to every one of us this morning. Some of us here would be individuals who have been around church for years, others perhaps even our first time at church today, or perhaps we wouldn't call ourselves Christians, but we pray that you would speak to us. I pray that we wouldn't feel judged or condemned, but we would pray, I pray that we would feel liberated by your word, that we would pray we would feel freedom as we approach you. Holy Spirit, we just welcome you and ask you to speak into our hearts and minds now. Amen. Matthew, 4, sorry, Matthew 6, 1-4. Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward for, from your Father in heaven. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets, to be honored by others. Truly I tell you, they have received their full, in reward, their full reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so your giving may be in secret. Then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. I also want to read from the message. It's exactly the same, but from the message. Matthew 6, from the message. Be especially careful when you are trying to be good so you don't make a performance out of it. It might be good theater, but the God who made you won't be applauding. When you do something for someone else, don't call attention to yourself. 
You've seen men in action, I'm sure. Play actors, I call them. Treating prayer meetings and street corners like a stage. Acting compassionate as long as someone is watching. Playing to the crowds. They get applause, true, but that's all they get. When you help someone out, don't think about how it looks. Just do it quietly and unobtrusively. That is the way your God, who conceived you in love, working behind the scenes, helps you out. So scholars suggest that the Sermon on the Mount intentionally gets progressively more challenging. So we started through the Sermon on the Mount looking at character and we looked at humility and integrity and generosity. What does it look like for us to have godly character, to be people of godly character? And then it switches to being people of influence. So how can we be salt and light in the marketplace? How can we be people of influence in the workplace? And now, as it gets increasingly challenging, it talks to being righteous before God. What does it mean for us to be righteous before God, living a life that is holy and pleasing to God? We're called to righteous. And this isn't about moral righteousness, not about obeying the Ten Commandments. Of course, that's a good thing to do. Those laws are there to help and liberate us, not to restrict us. It's not about piety, doing the right things. Of course, as Christians, there are certain behaviors and expectations about following Jesus, and it's good to live a good, holy Christian life. It's not about the moral righteousness. Jesus isn't referring to that. What he's doing is he's condemning religious righteousness. He's challenging the faith in action. And again, if you read the book of James, faith in action is good and right. Every religion, Christianity included, has things that we're meant to do, prayer, fasting, helping others. And Jesus isn't saying that's bad stuff. It's not that's wrong. It's the heart behind it. He's challenging the Pharisees because it's all about what people can see. They're doing it to impress others. He's challenging them because he's saying you're righteous because it's impressing others. He says, no, no, it's not that. It's about your heart being right before God. It's about being right before God in private. I used to have a friend at theological college called Sam, and he would go out at like midnight, which at theological college was actually really quite late. So we'd all be gone in bed by 10, and he'd be out at like 12 in the morning, which was quite irresponsible, really, if you had kind of New Testament lectures in the next morning. But he would go out and he'd sneak out. And he did this for ages and he would give away sleeping bags. He would go and pray for people. He was desperate to help people, but he was just determined that no one would find out. Probably a bit extreme, but this is what Jesus is really provoking us and challenging, saying, is it about the internal heart where it's all about me? It's not about the show and about what other people are seeing. It's about a change of heart. The Jesus way is about us being right before God and having our heart right with him. See, more and more, I, I think about it, I don't think Jesus particularly cares about us having it all together. In fact, I'm not sure we ever will get it all together. But I think he does care about the fact we're on a journey and open to him, allowing us to grow to be more and more like him. So when we say actually we're beyond Jesus speaking to us and transforming us more into his likeness, that's where the problem is. It's not that we have to have it all together, we have to be open to him transforming us into his likeness. One of the blessings, I think, is that Jesus doesn't say to us, hey, here's the 20 things you need to sort out. He gently and graciously works through things, one and two things at a time. It's not like you become a Christian and he says, okay, here's a thousand things you need to work out for the rest of your life. No, no, he's always speaking to us if we're open to him. If our hearts and minds open to him, he's open to allowing us to be more and more like him, to being right before God. He wants us to be righteous in his eyes. You see, the key thing here is it's all about Jesus. It's not about the show. It's not about the religious acts. It's about Jesus. 
The Pharisees were being challenged because religion is when you squeeze Jesus out. It's about being right before God. It's not about being right before our friends, our colleagues, our contemporaries, our friends at church. It's being right before God, the audience of one. And in this passage we read, it really picks up a few different challenges which I want to just highlight some warnings for us and some warnings for me this morning. The first thing is, it's not for the show. It's not for the show. The Greek word hypocritical is almost identical to the word we have for hypocritical. And the root meaning of this word was about play acting. And it's basically saying in the theater or in the drama, you're making it about an act. You're not looking at what's inside, you're acting it out. He says it's not for the show. It's not about what people see. It's about what's going on in here. It's not about the outward actions. Of course, what happens in here might affect your outward actions, but don't try and be hypocritical or make it about what people see. It's not for the show. Equally, it's not for man's empty praise. It's likely that Jesus is joking in this passage, and he's talking about the trumpet fanfare here and saying that you're doing it all for the show, you're doing it all for kind of a limelight and the accolades and the pat on the back. He wasn't really saying you're doing it for an actual trumpet fanfare, but he's saying you're doing it because people want to celebrate, you're doing it for the celebration of others. It's not for man's empty praise, it's not for the pat on the back from others. Ronald Reagan famously had above his desk, there is no limit to how far a person can go as long as he doesn't care who gets the credit. Let me read that again. There is no limit to how far a person can go as long as he doesn't care who gets the credit. And I love that, and I think it's absolutely true. But Ronald Reagan was also challenged because he was so keen to get the accolades and the well done for leading the change of the Cold War, leading the winning of the Cold War. All of us, let's name it, have a desire for our egos to be stroked. All of us have that inward challenge that we want to be recognized, we want to be valued. I'm sure most of us can say at times we've wanted the praise and the well done of others. And equally, it's not about self-praise. They were doing it for the trumpet fanfare, but I wonder sometimes, are we doing it for the, to blow our own trumpet? Are we doing it to get our self-recognition? In this, the verses we've read, Jesus says, your right hand needs to forget what your left hand is doing. And of course, that's impossible. But what he's saying is that as soon as you've done something, as soon as you've done a good act, forget about it. Because otherwise, you'll pump up your own ego, you'll inflate your own ego. Forget about your good acts. Christian living, Christian giving is about self-sacrifice and self-forgetfulness, not about self-congratulation. It's about self-sacrifice and self-forgetfulness, not about self-congratulation. I was reflecting on this, and I'm probably talking to myself, so... Ignore me if this doesn't apply to you, but so easily, I think we can be proud to be humble. We're good at not telling others our great deeds. We're good at not shouting it from the rooftops, but internally we're actually like, hey, I'm pretty good. God, check me out. Me and God make a pretty good team. And actually, we kind of get proud to be humble. We, we're proud to keep it to ourselves, but inwardly, there's a self-praise, and Jesus challenges this. Forget it, because it's not good for you to be building yourself up. It's not good for you to be doing the self-acclamation. Because ultimately, it's a show for an audience of one. The show is for an audience of one. It's seeking his well done. Not the well done of me, not the well done of your colleagues, your contemporaries. It's seeking God's well done. What we often see in children is that a lack of maturity is just a desire to constantly have recommendation and 
commendation from other people and they're so desperate for approval. And of course, that's not necessarily wrong. But in spiritual maturity, if we're not careful, what we're doing is we're desperately seeking the well done of others. And yes, it's good to encourage. Yes, it's good to affirm. But if that's what is... If that's what we're seeking, the well done of others, then we'll always be dissatisfied. We need to seek God's well done. You see, it's not wrong to want approval, but it is wrong when God's approval isn't enough. When the God who says, well done, good and faithful servant, when that's not enough, when he says, you are my child who I deeply love, when that's not enough, that's when the challenge is. When our security and identity comes from other places rather than God alone, that's where the challenge comes. God is a jealous God. and He wants you to himself. He wants his well done, his approval to be enough for you. He challenges us to live solely for him, not the show of others, not the internal praise. The show is ultimately all about him. Everything we do is ultimately all about Jesus, for those who follow him. It's for him, it's with him, it's through him, it's about him. I was reflecting last week, I was on holiday with some friends and... I was walking on the beach on my own. I tend to do that quite a lot, escape on my own. Um, quite a strong introvert. And as I was walking on the beach, I was just thinking about some stuff I had at work back home and aware that there's a few things I was ultimately responsible for back in Edinburgh. And just a very clear awareness from God that he's got it. That he's got it. He takes care of it. And the reassurance that when it's all about him, when it's all about living for his praise, his glory, when it's all about saying it's for your benefit and not for mine, it gives a deep sense of peace because we say, he's on the throne, he's in charge of my life, not me. We live solely for him. This passage also talks about rewards from God. It says that you need to have a life that's living for rewards in the afterlife, not for rewards here and now. One of the greatest challenges, I think, to Christians in this day and age is that we need to live with an eternal perspective. So much of what we value, so much of what we live for is for the here and now. But Jesus challenges us to say, no, it's all about life eternally. He might bless us and reward us here on earth, but ultimately, as we live solely for his approval, as we live solely for the audience of one, he wants to bless us possibly now, but also in the afterlife. We live for the show of one. We're called to live for the show of one. The challenge in this passage is to be right before God and live for the show of one. But I also think there's a secondary passage here, a secondary challenge here, not only to live for the show of one, but also to show up. As I said about Meshach, he was living on the streets of Princess Street. He was on the streets of Princess Street for the show of one. It wasn't because he was getting a lot of warmth and love because there wasn't much of that. He was doing it for the show of one. But equally, he showed up. He went where God called him to go. And as we look about how we spend our finances, as we look about how we live, are we showing up for Jesus? And there's a challenge here, isn't there? Because when we look at previous parts of the Sermon on the Mount, there's a challenge to be the light on the hill, the beacon of light. And at times we have to step out. Like I say, we have to show up. We have to stand out for the crowd. And a guy called Bruce, I think this is his surname in case you care. He's a scholar. I should really check that. But anyway, a lovely guy called Bruce. He... he We've got a Bruce here this morning, actually. Maybe that's you. Anyway, so a guy called Bruce, the scholar, said this, which I think is absolutely brilliantly. Show when you're tempted to hide. Hide when you're tempted to show. Let me read that again. Show when you're tempted to hide. Hide when you're tempted to show. When it's about us and when we know that actually we want our approval or the approval of others, that's when we need to hide away and give the glory to God. 
Equally, when we're hiding away because of a lack of courage, that's when we need to step out and show up. We need to show up. This passage is challenging because it says, when, not if. There's an assumption that you'll give to the poor. There's an assumption that you'll help those in need. There's an assumption that you will do your bit as followers of Jesus to help the broken. It's a challenge with our finances, with our time, with our talents, that we have to live a life that's beyond ourselves, giving away what we've been given. And it's not because God wants or needs this. It's not because he's a God who needs our finance or needs us to do this. It's because to have a most fulfilled life, to have a purpose that God wants us to have, it's about living beyond yourself. We're most blessed when it's about others and not about ourselves. The Jesus way is living for others, not for ourselves. When we lead, when we serve, when we give away what God has given us, that is when we're most blessed and fulfilled. We give away because Jesus has given everything to us. Every gift we could possibly want and need, Jesus would give to us. And we are given, we are given the privilege to give it away. We can't outgive God. We can't outgive God. And interestingly, it's not about the actual amount of giving or the act of giving. It's about the heart, it's about the motivation. Yes, we're called to be generous, and yes, at times that will be an act that will have to change our heart, but we want to change the heart first, and that leading to our outward action. And it's not just about money. Jesus is challenging how we spend our money here, but money so often expresses what's important to us, expresses what, is in, what exposes our hearts and motives, and it exposes what's important to us. We want to live out of an overflow of abundance. I don't know if you'll kind of recall this kind of situation, but I remember when I used to go for meals with Christian friends in kind of my 20s, and we'd go out for dinner, and for argument's sake, you know, you get the bill, and you've got your main courses, and you've got loads of glasses of tap water, and you get the bill, and for argument's sake, it's 140 pounds, and somehow you're putting money, and that's back in the day when you used cash, you put your cash in, and somehow, even though everyone's added up how much they owe, it comes to 100 pounds. And you're like, hang on a sec. We've all put in our money, yet it hasn't got up to 140 pounds. And you have this embarrassing conversation about how do we make up the difference. Now, that might not be your situation, but I know my situation is that so often I can be tight-fisted, so often I can give the minimum. But when we have a generous God who's given so abundantly to us, we want to live a life of generosity. We want to be giving above and beyond in every situation. We want to be the first to be blessing our friends, the first to be tipping at the restaurants. We want to be the first to help us on the streets like Sammy did the other day. What does it look like for us to be people of abundance, people where the generosity of God overflows through our life? This isn't to condemn us. This is for the best life. This is to liberate. We're liberated when we're free to give away. There's freedom in being generous. There's freedom in not being enslaved by the finances of our time, being enslaved by the pressures of society, but living solely for Jesus. Our wholehearted worship is when we say, everything I have, my time, my talents, my money, is actually to serve my heavenly father. There's a great story about Nicky Gumbel, who many of you will know. And Nicky Gumbel is the pioneer, I think, or the key leader of Alpha, and Alpha's a phenomenal thing. I was chatting to someone earlier who has joined our church recently because of Alpha, which is just fantastic. But Alpha's amazing, and HDB is a really significant church in the UK. And 
he was chatted to by a guy who was heading up Solomon City, the leader of Solomon City. This is a big youth project that was across London, and the idea was to impact thousands of young people right across the city, costing millions of pounds, really, really significant mission, probably about year 2000, I think it was. And the guy said to Nicky Gumbel, you know, I want you and your church to be behind this. Would you support this? Would you work with us? And spoke to him about being part of it. And Nicky Gumbel just felt like it wasn't right for him to participate. He didn't think it was right for the church to be involved. And he went away and chatted about it and came back to him and said, look, I don't want to get in the way, but I just don't think this is the right thing. And the guy said to him, well, look, thank you for that, but I still want to go ahead and do this. The guy set up this project, which was Solomon City, which was hugely influential. What he didn't realize is that in complete privacy, Nicky Gumbel had managed to raise a million pounds from his church. He'd organized prayer meetings to say, because it's for God's kingdom, I want this to be blessed. He sent volunteers. He did all he possibly could to support this. That's what the generous overflow of Jesus in us looks like. It's not about the praise of anyone other than him. It's not about the overflow of anything other than what comes from him. It's about his resource, his talent flowing through us, and then we cannot help but give it away. In this city, there's 25% of people who are deemed to be in poverty. There's one in four children who aren't going about regular school meals. 18% of our city say they can't buy what is essential needs. The streets are limited with homeless people. Cap do incredible work with people who are just from such broken homes and need our support and care. We are behind Cap. We are behind IGM. We heard from Andy earlier just the important work of engaging with slavery, engaging with others, engaging with those who are just being ill-treated. We partner with Bethany because they work and do incredible things with, Beth, with homeless people. You see, we as a church need to act. When God changes our hearts, when he, we're right before him, he says, go and be my hands and feet. He says, go and give your money, give your time, give everything away for the sake of the greater good. For so much of this stuff, if the church doesn't act, then who will? The reason we have communities across this city, the reason we have youth programs, the reason we have everything we do is because we want to say that God's kingdom needs to come here in Edinburgh. We're called to love this city. We're called to impact this city. We're called to share and be abundant in our blessing and give away what we've been so freely given. Jesus says, as you've freely received, freely give. When we're sacrificial, when we give away what he's given us, it leads to freedom. It leads to peace with Jesus. The most blessed life is one of giving away, one of saying, actually, what I have here on earth is only temporary and I want to give it away. I want to serve others. When Jesus changes my heart, when I show up for him, he allows it to work through me and change situations and circumstances for others. What does it look like for us as individuals in the church to up that and say, we want more? We're thankful and grateful for the incredible ways you're working and ministering through us individually and as a church. But as you change our heart, as you speak into our heart and deepest desires, we want to give away more. We want to increase our giving. We want to increase our time and generosity because it's not about me. It's about a greater good. It's about those beyond these church walls. Let me pray for us. Lord, we thank you that you are such a good and generous God. We thank you that through your life, death, and resurrection, you gave us eternal life. You gave us a relationship with the eternal God. We thank you for that. We thank you for the many ways you provide and bless each and every one of us. We can so easily name all the things that we haven't got, but actually 
an attitude of gratitude says, we just want to thank you for all you provide us with. But we live in a relatively safe country. But you've blessed this church abundantly in so many ways. And as we continue into worship, we just ask that individually and collectively we would continue to know your grace, continue to know your blessing. But as we just turn to you with open hearts and minds and say we want to once again walk closely to you, we ask that you would just speak into areas of our lives where you want us to give over more of it to you. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would speak into every single heart and mind here this morning. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen.